Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. I'm Kat Troyer. I'm Liz Bronson. Hey, Liz. Hello, Kat. We are so excited to welcome a guest, Phil Strazula, to Real Job Talk. Phil has an interesting journey as both an investor and an entrepreneur, as well as a speaker and an educator. And Phil is in the HR tech space, but we brought him today to talk about his career journey and how he helps people with their careers. Welcome, Phil. Welcome, Phil. Thank you guys so much for having me. So Phil, tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your journey that led you to today. Yeah, sure. So I kind of started my career off. I always go back to like middle school, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, For whatever reason, I was always like really interested in the stock market. I think it was probably because it was the 90s and like Mm -hmm. everybody was making so much money. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm, you know, busting my butt mowing lawns. Like if you just buy a share of Intel, like you'll make a hundred bucks in a week (laughs) or something like that. Like that sounds so much better. And so I... Actually, my brother and I convinced my mom to like take us down to local Fidelity branch. We like opened up stock accounts and started trading. And I still have that same brokerage account open like 20 some odd years later. Um, and so I always thought I'd be like a finance, like a hedge fund person or something like that. When I was in college, I interned at a two-person startup. Just love the impact that I could have. And so set my sights more actually on trying to become an entrepreneur one day. And after college, just wanted to take some jobs that I thought would help me prepare to that end. My first job, unfortunately, I got laid off. I took this job at an investment bank. It was I graduated college in 2008. 2009 came around and uh, the bank's revenue was down like 90%. And basically, a lot of people <laughs> didn't work there anymore, including myself, um, which is sort of devastating as like a 23-year-old. And you know, you've been this sort of like go-getter type A person and the news is like, oh yeah, this is going to be like a lost generation of people who like won't have careers and, and you're kind of screwed. Um, so that was, that was tough. Uh, did, you know, some like internships and basically like anything I could do to like sort of get experience, start a blog, try to, you know, brand myself as like a, you know, person who's interested in tech and investing. Got this job at this VC firm, which was, uh, a very nice stroke of luck. Uh, went to business school at Harvard, taught myself how to program. Eventually, you know, kind of had the guts finally to start a business, started a software company, took it to a certain stage, hired a guy to run it. And I've started now my second business, which is helping HR people buy the right software. It's a company called Select Software Reviews. So that's the two minute version of where I've been since 12 years old. So it sounds like from the beginning, I mean, real beginning, middle school beginning, you know, some things were planned, but talk a little bit about what was planned and what was opportunistic. And I realized like, obviously getting laid off from your first job was not planned, but in terms of the twists and turns, what did you plan and what did you take advantage of and how did you kind of decide? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I never really thought I had a plan However, my parents actually moved like five or six years ago and I was going through all my old stuff. And I think when we were in like fifth grade, our teacher asked us like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so I wrote something down and I found this paper and it said, I want to get an MBA at a really good college like Harvard. And I want to be the CEO of a technology company. 
And I wrote up what, what CEO stood for because I'd probably just learned the word or something like that. And so I, I kind of looked at that and I was like, this is, <laughs> this is bizarre. That's creepy. Um, yeah, really, really weird. Really, I think weird. it's super cool. Actually, I think I think you should frame that and put it on yeah. your wall. <laughs> yeah, I know. I took a picture of it because I was like, no one's gonna believe this. But <laughs> yeah, so I guess there was like always some sort of seed there, and I'm not sure exactly like where it came from. I think it was honestly like a very subconscious thing because I never, you know, I never really had this plan, right? Like I did things opportunistically. To your point. I've always been sort of like a type A, maybe slightly paranoid person. And so in college, a couple of my friends were like, hey, we're going to take the GMATs because eventually we might want to go to business school. And I was like, okay, I better do that too. So I've always been sort of like looking for the edges. And I've always been a very career-focused person for whatever reason. Like it's just something that I've been gravitated towards. Like I... I love, you know, the stuff that I get to do. I don't have the Sunday scaries. Um, I'm excited for the week. You know, not everything I do is exciting. It's it's like tax season. I hate that. But I I think overall, I've always sort of been looking for different opportunities and kept an open mind. And, And a lot of that probably is coming from the experience of being laid off from your first job where you're sort of on a path. You're like, all right, I'm going to do investment banking for two years. And then private equity, and then go to business school, and then and then it's just like, no, you're not. You're you're laid off, and you're living off of food stamps. Um, like literally, you're like living off the Obama uh, extension of unemployment benefits and uh, subletting some random person's room in, in an apartment. So I think that sort of like makes you have a more expansive view of, of what's possible because you have to. You're not on the path anymore. Mm-hmm. Most people hear about layoffs, and you know they think, oh, wow, that's unfortunate, right? That's a bummer. But I'm wondering, there probably is some hidden gifts in that. And I'm wondering if having that experience might help someone be more resilient and bounce back than if they didn't have that experience. So I'm just curious, what gifts did you find in that experience? Yeah, I honestly remember that day feeling very elated. I had a job that I absolutely hated. Mm. I was working 110 hour weeks, like literally... You know, some days I'd work from 8.30 a.m. till 2 a.m. two days later, um, you oh, know, wow. working 40 hours straight without like going home and like showering and stuff like that. And yeah. in an environment where like nobody was like, thanks for putting in the extra hard work, Phil. They were more like, why is this comma out of place? You know what I mean? And you're, you're like, oh, I love working here. <laughs> so I, I think after the first like 40 minutes of shock of like, oh my God, I don't have a job anymore. I was like, Oh, thank God I can go sleep. You know, like I'm just so tired. Um, so, and I think also, yeah, to, to your point about resilience, like I did a lot of introspection throughout that period and thinking about like, who am I? What do I want to do with mm-hmm. my life? Um, I remember they put us in, into this like program to help you like get another job. And it was like a, you know, 10 other people had just gotten laid off. And luckily I was the youngest person there. And, and I was like, man, things aren't that bad. You know what I mean? Like I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it gives you some nice perspective. It also lets you be okay with failure, which I think is very important if you want to achieve what I would consider a good life. I think there are a couple of like tried and true paths to rich riches Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are super painful, you know, to become a, like a partner at McKinsey or a partner at a law firm kind of sucks for the most yeah. part. Like no, mm-hmm. most people don't like that lifestyle. They're just doing it. Cause it's like, Hey, this, this is the way that I'm guaranteed to make seven figures a year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of the only way that's guaranteed. If that's your goal, you know, that's like a good way to do it. And so for me, this, this might have encouraged me a little bit more to mm-hmm. just like go out and try some stuff and take some swings because I knew even if I fell on my face, I'd be able to climb back up. Mm-hmm. And not to linger in your you know job loss, but I, I happen to know about you. You didn't get a new job right away. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the journey to the next job, not just the introspection. I think that's so critical to be like, wait, what do I want next? I've got to pause. Let me figure this out. I'm not working you know, 100 hours a day. But that was a long job search. And how did you get yourself through it and stay positive and, and kind of walk through the ups and downs of that jobless search? Because searching while jobless is different than searching with a job. Yeah. And especially when nobody's hiring. Right. And uh, that, that was a really tough, tough right. market. That was tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially it's like, oh, you work in finance. Okay. Yeah. That industry doesn't exist for the next 12 months. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was about a year. It was very challenging. I think mostly emotionally. Like there were definitely mornings when I woke up feeling physically ill because I was mm-hmm. like, I still don't have a job and it's been three, six, nine months, like mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. I sort of saw like my peers from college continuing in their careers. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't get left behind. So like, how do I make sure I don't do that? And I tried to think about this whole like, why do people succeed? thing. And I think a big part of it is experience and skills and knowledge and network. And so I thought, how can I still continue to accomplish on those metrics? And so I took this like unpaid internship at a venture-backed company. Luckily, I was getting like the unemployment benefits so I could pay my rent, which was really nice. And that allowed me to do some stuff. I had a honestly, a really bad boss who took my like already beat up confidence and just sort of like trampled on it. And so after like two or three months, I was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. This is really terrible. And and you know what? Like there's probably something wrong with me because I've had two jobs now. And like I hated the first one and I kind of hated the second one. Mm. And so I found another glamorous unpaid internship uh, working with these two guys who were running sort of like this like quasi like startup private equity firm. And I just had a great experience. Like they were phenomenal mentors. They really appreciated the hard work I was doing, the analysis I was doing. They really built my confidence back up. And they sort of realized, like, oh, here's this like smart, hardworking, insecure guy that we can like get a lot of leverage out of (laughs) if we do a good job of mentoring him. And so let's mentor this guy. And of course, you know, I'm sure it wasn't as transactional as that. They're both guys, but that was sort of like the trade that we made. And it allowed me to build the skill set, build the network, get a couple of job offers. And the first mm-hmm. couple of job offers I got were not very good. And I actually ended up turning them down, even though I was like rolling the dice again. Good for you. You know, to your point earlier, I, I sort of was like, you know, I just, I don't want to get locked in another terrible job. Mm-hmm. And if I keep failing, like I, I can probably get back up again. It's like really painful, but I can do this. And so I turned down three or four jobs until I got the thing that I really wanted. And the thing that I really wanted was a after a three-month or four-month interview process, like 40 interviews, oh got rejected God. out of it actually the first... I think I got rejected at least once, maybe twice. And I just kind of like kept persisting and being like, Hey, have you guys hired anybody yet? And they'd be like, Actually, we didn't. You want to come back in? Yeah, yeah. sure. I'll come back in again <laughs> and like meet a bunch more people and get grilled. So it was very challenging. I think 
you know, gives me a lot of empathy for people who have to go through this because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have to go through something like this in our career. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice because it kind of shows you a little bit of what you're made out of and, and makes you be creative and, and try to solve this problem yourself. That's great. As you were talking about being in that place where, you know, you had two roles and then we're in this situation where your confidence was shaken. I know you do a fair amount of mentoring of folks, right? We've, we've talked about that. And that was one of the things I wanted to touch on today with you. What advice would you have for someone who, you know, obviously people don't have the, the same exact experiences, but for, you know, for someone out of school who maybe the first couple jobs were layoffs or maybe they just weren't a good fit. You know, if someone came to you and said, Hey, Phil, you know, what should I do? What, what words of wisdom would you have for them? Yeah, I think it's really tough. I'm actually thinking of a specific person who I've had this conversation with recently and if they've had three jobs, some of them really worked out for various reasons and they've kind of been not fully employed for at least like six or nine months. And mm-hmm. I think it's really, really challenging because a lot of, a lot of your work ethic comes from a confidence that it's going to be repaid in the future. Like nobody wants to do a lot of work and, and have no positive end result. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's true with like education opportunities. Like uh, there's like so much research that shows that. And so I think you somehow have to find the belief that there's a light at the end of the tunnel if you follow a process and do the work. Mm-hmm. And doing the work in a in the right way is sort of like the key. So you have to treat job searching like a job. You have to get up and shower and shave if you're a guy. And (laughs) (laughs) and you got to go to a place of work and you have to work for seven or eight hours and then go home. And in that time, you've got to look at what are you spending your time on? It can't be Facebook and YouTube. It has to be increasing your skill set, making yourself more marketable. For me, it was, you know, writing a blog, it was networking Mm -hmm. at night, going to meetups, meeting the right people. And it was keeping a a spreadsheet, basically a CRM of all the jobs that I've applied to making sure I was hitting, you know, 10, 15 jobs a day. And if you do that, it's kind of like sales, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. just sort of like hit your numbers, like five or 15 jobs a day for a couple months, you're going to get a lot of interviews. You're probably going to get an offer. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to do that. Um, it doesn't take too much time, but it's hard mentally. Mm-hmm. I've read this thing about procrastination. Like procrastination <laughs> is just, it's just a mental thing. Like your body doesn't want to do something. It feels bad doing it. And in that case, it feels bad because you're like, I'm just going to get rejected anyways. Mm-hmm, right? right. And so you have to basically trick yourself into thinking that, you're not going to get rejected. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's an amazing job out there for you. There's somebody who's going to mentor you and you just got to do the work to do it. And then the second part is you got to do it in the right way. And and to do that, you really need a mentor. You need a mentor to look at your resume, to look at your cover letters, to help you prep for interviews because there are a lot of people out there. I, I was like this in college. I had a pretty good resume. I had a great GPA and all this stuff. I didn't get any interviews for my junior year internship except for one. And luckily, I got that job. But it was really because my resume was a disaster. Mm-hmm. It looked ugly. It was hard to read. Had a lot of good stuff in there, but no recruiter was looking at it because they're just like, "Oh God, this kid can't format." Mm-hmm. And so you need somebody to make sure that you're doing the right stuff, saying the right things, mm-hmm. especially if you're early in your career because you just might not know what the right answers are. I could not agree more. I love what you say about bettering yourself because I think that 
when you're in a search, mindset is so important and treating it like a job is important. But also, I feel like there's something to be said for, I know I'm bettering myself. I'm making myself a better candidate, even though I don't have a job. And so by bettering yourself and putting yourself out there and being with people like, and treating it like a job, but also a networking and a sales gig, even if you're not a salesperson, you got to have that mentality. You're setting yourself up for more success than the, whoa, was me. I'm looking for a job today. Sad. It, yeah. It, it's that, all right, what am I doing today? I got to get to this. And that self-talk, but also that self-improvement is important. I also like what you said about resume. I had a client this week. I'm like, your resume is awful. And they were like, I paid 600 bucks for that resume. I'm like, well, okay. sorry. I'm, I, you know, this is our intro call, so it's free. And I'm going to tell you, it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah. But it's because there was no white space. I couldn't mm-hmm. see what they'd done. Mm-hmm. It was, does that, you know, it was full of, Words, decent words, but words that meant nothing. And um, we're going to talk next week about how to chop that thing up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's important think, how you present yourself. And I think being open to feedback, right, on on things like resumes. I was at a, a career event at, at a conference this past fall, and um, it was a career cafe. So I was one of the career coaches there, and there was a line of folks to talk to me. And so, you know, I was trying to talk to people as quickly as I could. And the event went over and there was a guy who had been waiting at least 40 minutes to talk to Mm -hmm. me, but he clearly had an agenda, right? He wanted me to look at two resumes and tell me which one I liked better. And he was more focused on the, he wanted me to tell him that the one that he liked better was the better resume. But, you know, I was a production recruiter for years. Mm -hmm. So I know what kind of resumes read easily. And you want to make a resume easy to read for the recruiter, because that's a gatekeeper, but also for the people in the hiring process. And the bots. It was just so clear. You know, he he heard my answer and I could just read his face. It was not the answer he wanted. And I I actually followed up with him. I had his email and I followed up and said, hey, let's have a conversation around this. Because I could tell, like, I could tell there was an emotional response there. And it's like, let's look at that. Because... You're going to feel down in the search process. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's normal, right? There's going to be a little bit more emotions. The more you can set yourself up, like you said, for, you know, looking at it like a job and being open to feedback, Mm -hmm. you know, especially open to feedback from experts. Now, everyone's going to have a different opinion on a resume, right? You tell, you give it to 10 different people and you'll hear, hear 10 different things, but there will be themes. Yes. And that board of advisors. Right. They're important. So on to mentoring, you do a lot of it. So tell, how do you find your mentors and make space for your mentees and kind of, how do you choose them? Who's a good mentee for you and and what's your goal as a mentor? So a few questions in there. Yeah, I I think it's something I just enjoy doing, sharing sort of what I've learned, especially people kind of going through some stuff. I don't really, I think people just reach out to me and Mm -hmm. if people do a good job and I can tell they're sort of like hearts in the right place, they're doing the right stuff, etc. Then I'm happy to spend some time with them and and mm-hmm. kind of lend a hand and hopefully see them succeed. And some of those people, you know, worked for me. Some of those people were referred. Some of them are like random people. It's like a cousin's brothers, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you gotta talk to Phil. You know what I mean? And 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 I find that very flattering and flattery will get you everywhere in life. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you for an hour, you know, and, and help you with whatever, give you my unsolicited advice. There's also people who sort of have like mentor fails with. There is a person mm-hmm. that I met at 
this event that I hosted. And he, he was an older gentleman who lost his job. He went through a coding bootcamp. And he had a very specific background to be a sales engineer. And I was like, oh, I actually know somebody who's hiring for sales engineering. Send me your resume. So he sent me his resume and his cover letter. And I just shot him a note. And I was like, hey, here's my quick feedback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like just ditch the Comcast.net email. Um, <laughs> your, your cover letter is like, I don't know, 3,000 words. It's unreadable, blah, 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 like 10 bullet points. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, fired back like very, very defensively. And so that that's sort of thing. It's it's all those like small interactions, right? If if he was like, oh, thanks a lot. Like this is really interesting. Hadn't thought about it. Let's talk about it. I would have been like, all right, cool. Let's get mm-hmm. on the phone. Let's prep for your interview. Let me introduce my friend, etc. Mm-hmm. Um and and so I think that's how they happen. And I'm not, you know, mentoring people like over the course of like six months on any like sort of regular basis. But there are mm-hmm. people that I keep in touch with over years and it's, you know, like hey, I'm Find a business school now. Great. Let's chat. Uh, one of my customers actually at Select mm-hmm. Software, his kid uh, is like head of demand gen for one of the companies that we work with. And, and he just kind of sniffed it out in me that I would be somebody who would like be willing to read his business school essays. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he asked in a very tactful way, which also reminds me of like another piece of advice, especially mm-hmm. being on the, the end of like reviewing a lot of resumes. Mm-hmm. When you're applying for these jobs, it's really hard to stand out of, as a resume, especially if you don't have a job. And so mm-hmm. I think like you've got to find alternative ways of standing out as opposed to being in a stack of files. And mm-hmm. you're probably in the stack that gets thrown in the trash, to be mm-hmm. quite honest, to be quite brutal about it. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, if you don't have a job, differentiate yourself, you learn new skills, you meet people at events, you start, you know, writing and, you know, doing videos or whatever the case may be, like for your industry, like that's how you kind of do it. Just something that I thought of as you guys were chatting. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're talking kind of about developing a personal brand a little bit, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And being able to just be more than a piece of paper that doesn't represent you to your, as a person. Um, it's kind of a crappy way that we've sort of vet people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also, you're in a huge stack and you probably don't look that good on paper, just to be quite honest, um, relative to your competition if you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love what you did with the free internships because no one knew it was free on paper. I mean, that's right. Exactly. You were working the whole exactly. time. Except, and, you know, the paychecks were coming from different places, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <And> the government. <laughs> yeah. Details. But, what was important was that you weren't just job searching for a year. On paper, you were working. And that so, is so true. And I had stuff to talk about. And totally. It was like, oh, what are you doing at this venture backed e commerce startup? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, let me tell you about the analytics dashboard that I built and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the fact that you're an unpaid intern, like probably never comes up or comes up really late in the conversation. Right. And so, yeah, you're, you're totally right. You, you get the interview and you get stuff to talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. Like people who do consulting when they're in between. Absolutely. Like get a gig, any gig. They don't have to know yeah. that it's 10 hours a week. They need to know that there's a gig mm-hmm. and right. that's what networking is about and everything like that. But I, I do think that the blank space is more daunting than the unpaid internship that no one knows is unpaid or even the in-school. I decide to go back to school and get, you know, a certificate in mm-hmm. Python. Right. Okay. You don't go into that decision necessarily. Why? But yo, you're in school full-time. That's a full-time job. And yeah. there you have it. It's hard to understate that. 
Yeah. How do you advise people find out what's out there and like what they're drawn to? Because you've had some twists and turns and kind of back to the pre-planned, although clearly you were planning in elementary school. But how do you advise people figure out what they're going to be drawn to? I think you don't really know till you try. Like you can probably have like a 50% confidence level about something. And so if somebody's earlier in their career, like somebody that I just talked to last week, freshman in college, and they're like, what do I do this summer? And I was like, (laughs) there's probably like six or seven things that you're interested in. Just pick one and try to do as best as you can. Try to get the best internship and just kill it and have your boss love you because that is the common denominator. Like people are always like, hey, Phil, what's it like to go to Harvard Business School? What are the people like? The common denominator is like, whether you were a Navy SEAL or you worked at a nonprofit or you were a hedge fund manager, you were just really, really good at the thing that you did. So that's really important. And then you might do this internship and you hate it, but whatever, it's 10 weeks. And now you know you don't like it and you can start to hone in on, okay, why didn't I like that? Oh, because there's no purpose or because I hate being in an office or whatever. Or maybe it's just you had a bad boss, but you actually like the work. Um, and so you can start to develop this stuff. And then, you know, I talk to people who are like in their 50s and they've, most people haven't figured out what they want to do for when they grow up. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's an evolving thing that is becoming really interesting in this whole like future world work world that we live in, where mm-hmm. you know the gig economy, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, people can try out lots of different things, which is cool. But I think for me, you can you know talk to your friends, think about what you like. Is there somebody in your life that really knows you well? For me, it's my mom. Like she is sort of like a fortune teller when it comes to me and like what I'm going to like or not like. But I think you just need to kind of do it and see it for yourself. That's great advice. I love the following things that you're super excited about because when you do that, it's going to guide you. It's mm-hmm. going to guide you in the right direction. Eventually, it might feel twisty, mm-hmm. but eventually you're going to get the skills that you need. And also the trying it, it's like it, I mean, especially for college kids, you know, try before you buy. I know I did some internships in college and realized, oop, nope, not that path back up, move it, <laughs> right? you know, different direction. That was mm-hmm. not for me. Mm-hmm. And that's a, perfect. I mean, at 20, that's perfect to learn. And even sometimes with your first couple jobs, you realize something, but look around at other people at the company and say, what are they doing? Is that interesting? And maybe you can swizzle yourself to move around. You're right. The gig economy is kind of amazing for trying new things and talk to people, hear what they do, see if it sounds interesting, maybe try it out. And trust your gut. I think yeah. that the people that resonate with you the most, that's a really important signal. And it might be, feel weird and like irrational and like not as logical or thoughtful as you want it to be. But like for the most part, like if you find somebody you just really vibe with, mm-hmm. that's what they do is probably a decent fit for what you should do. Interesting. That's it's true, isn't it? So Phil, you have navigated ups and downs you know, of the bad economy and mm-hmm. you've had a really interesting career journey and you're a successful entrepreneur. What has been the highlight of your career so far? That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. For me, the thing I love the most is just like finding out about myself and the world. I think the reason I was interested in business in the first place is because as a kid, I was just confused. Like how, how does a car get in our driveway? You know, like 
who makes this car? Like, how do, how do all the different pieces, like, why does this all happen? And the answer is capitalism, basically, you know, like there's, there's reasons why like this part of the car is made in India and this part of the car is made in Kentucky and it's assembled this way and it's bought for this, you know what I mean? Like all this stuff and it, and it all interrelates really well with our behavior as human beings and evolution. And that's, that's why capitalism works because it's like so closely related to like how we're hardwired. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think like this stuff has been sort of like a nice journey personally for me to understand kind of more about myself and what makes me tick and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I think especially the entrepreneur journey, I mean, if you're not learning about yourself and the process, you're probably not doing something right. Right. Because there's so much immediate feedback, right. Mm-hmm. Every day. Right. Most of it bad. <laughs> well, you know, you know, hopefully there's some good in there. Right. Too. I mean, but certainly yeah. you get, you get more comfortable with the nose, right. Because it is a numbers game. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I tell my career coaching clients, listen, every interview you go on, you know, even if it's a a negative experience that brings you your, that makes you one interview closer to your offer. You know, that's the prize Mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah. And Um, it's also like weirdly, I remember like very poignantly back in 09, I probably went on 40 or 50 interviews, right. And and just nobody was hiring. Mm -hmm. Um, it is very, very discouraging. And of course, you know, nobody responds to your email or, you know, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember this is advice from my mom. She was like, you know, like you're actually building a skill set. You're building Mm -hmm. the skill set of building rapport with people Mm -hmm. and being able to communicate with them and, she was so right. And that mm-hmm. skill set, especially when you have this weight on your shoulders of being able to do that is so integral to sales, to entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. even to personal relationships. And so mm-hmm. there's always a silver lining in this stuff. And it, it's easy, you know, to say like, you know, get tougher and like see the silver lining. And I, I know it's really, really hard because um, I've been there and I, and I remember it. Yeah, but there always is a silver lining, and if you mm-hmm. just keep focusing on that, you're going to enjoy it more. You're going to learn more, and you're going to get more out of it. You're going to have better outcomes. Awesome! That is that is a quote. That is a pull quote right there. That that's awesome. <laughs> I, you know, I think that it it isn't easy, but it is a practice, right? Mm-hmm. And the more we can stay focused on that, the better life is. And that's you know that's where the mindset stuff comes in, right? And reflection. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've been in the world of HR tech for six years. How did HR tech find you and what has caused that to be the sticker, or at least for now? Yeah, it's kind of a weird journey. I wanted to start a company and I've always been interested in people's career paths. (laughs) You know, the thing that we've been talking about, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that I do in my spare time. Um, So I, that's, and so having that interest, there's like, a couple of different ways you can actually make a living off of that. Uh, and and one of those is to help HR people to like recruit the right people. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of like moseyed my way into this thing originally to help companies basically combat Glassdoor when it first came out. And like mm-hmm. every review is super negative and companies mm-hmm. are like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And I'm like, why don't you just talk about what it's like to work at your company and like put it on your career site and social media. Mm-hmm. So that sort of evolved into a business. And then... You know, because I love to, I love to teach. Um, throughout building that company, I was like, "What's the best way to market this business to HR people?" It's not to cold call them and annoy them; it's to create content. And so I just started doing these like whiteboard videos 
on LinkedIn with really nice little tidbits. And so people started like recognizing me at conferences and, and following me on LinkedIn and stuff like that. And so I had this asset. And when I wanted to start my second business, I was like, okay, what are the things I like to do? I like to learn. I like to teach. I like to build companies. And I have this asset, which is like people in the HR space know me. So what's a problem I can tackle that is at a nexus of all those things? And of course, it wasn't quite as simple and neat as that. It took a long time and a bunch of iterations. But that's sort of how... And then you're sort of like in this industry, you know, whether you, mm-hmm. whether you want to be or not, you're sort of like, you've got too much invested to pull the record. Yeah. It's neat. It's a cool journey. And, and I don't know that a lot of people go to school for HR. I, Mm-mm. I wrote an article once, like no one went to school to be a recruiter and then, you know, yeah. how do we get here kind of thing. And I think it's so true. It's like HR tends to find people, people who are also business yeah. and who are usually also business people and what, and it becomes the intersection of that. So it's neat that that's how you got there as well. So Phil, what's next for you? So my focus is mostly on building my company select software, just trying to help people buy the right HR software, Mm -hmm. um, which is like this really weird niche that, you know, when I tell people about it, they're like, Oh my God, that's, there's a business that does that. <laughs> and, and for me, it's my whole world. I'm like, yeah, of course yeah. there is. There's mm-hmm. you know, millions of HR people out there that need to buy software. And um, there's so much HR software out there to mm-hmm. navigate. It's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. Some of it's good. And some of it, well, isn't. It's terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, and from a career perspective, if you're the head of HR and you buy the wrong payroll system and it takes 18 months to implement and costs twice as much, like it's not good for your career, you know? No. So. So that's the thing I'm mostly focused on. And then um, I've always loved investing. And so I've started doing some more investing. There's um, this sort of niche strategy where I'm giving early employees in interesting companies uh, liquidity. So mm. like this woman who actually works in HR, um, she was one of the first 50 employees at a company that's now worth like a billion dollars. Uh, it's probably two or three years away from becoming a public company. And so I bought out some of her stocks so she could start a 529 plan for her kids. So doing some stuff like that. That's super creative. Thanks. Yeah. Just doing a lot of random stuff. Like for me, one of the things I've noticed is like, I just love variety. I love to learn Mm -hmm. and select software keeps me learning, but it's nice to have a kind of a side project, which I guess is interesting. Sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great. Well, where can we find you or where can people looking to buy HR software find you or (laughs) our listeners find you? Where can you be found? Yeah. So I think for the listeners, probably the most relevant place is my blog, philstrazilla.com. It's got a bunch of like mentor stuff in there. If you go back in the archives, like you can see the first couple of posts, the first probably Mm -hmm. 20 posts when I was like an unemployed, you know, Mm -hmm. free intern trying to make a name for myself. Um, and have something to talk about in interviews. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. There's not many filters in the world. And then if, <laughs> if you're really interested in learning about HR software or you're having trouble sleeping, selectsoftwarereviews.com is where to check that out. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we can't wait to keep following you and see what's next. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. This 
is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beeks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a Tech Reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. 